Hello, and welcome back to Quest Markers, where we talk about games and the stories they tell. My name is Marina, my pronouns are she, her, and this is episode four. Today, we're talking about Xenoblade Chronicles 1. As always, a big spoiler warning, we talk extensively about Xenoblade 1's story, but we do also touch on Xenoblade 2 and 3. Xenoblade 1 is my personal favorite in the trilogy, so without further ado, let's get into the episode. Hello, I am so excited to have the legendary, esteemed YouTuber, Snugboy, here on the show today. I know you don't like being called a YouTuber. Or legendary. (laughs) Well, you know, that's too bad. Too bad, so sad? Too bad, so sad. Wow, we know it. You win some, you lose some, but here we are. You do. Welcome. I'm so excited for this. Hi, thank you so much. It's such an honor. I'm a big time listener, first time watcher, and it's just an honor to be here. I'm very excited. Thank you so much. <laughs> uh, would you like to introduce yourself the way that you'd like to be introduced? Uh, uh, hi, I'm legendary YouTuber. No, that's so ridiculous. I'm just a little guy who makes little <laughs> silly videos on YouTube sometimes. And um, that's me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, th- I don't know. It's not very, I'm very bad at talking about myself, though. You know this. Yeah, you are. You are kind of bad at talking about yourself. So yeah. we can, well, we could just move on. I got a couple questions. I always ask this. Okay. This kind of was unplanned, but I asked yep. my first guest mm-hmm. on the very first episode and now it's just become a thing. So yeah. uh, what beverages do you have? Are you staying hydrated? What are you drinking? You know, I'm drinking that H2O, just add water, always. not the mermaid kind, just some water. Yeah. Just drinking water these days. I have been drinking a lot of hot chocolate, but I ran out of soy milk. So I, um, you like soy, don't you? I have a soy latte in front of me, so um, it's way too late in the day for me to have coffee. So, um, But not for me. I'll get a coffee later. Just making bad choices. <laughs> <laughs> um, what are some of your favorite games and or favorite game series? Okay, so I love, like with all my heart, like so much, and people have known me for it, but I love Solitaire. I think Solitaire is just like one oh of the best God. games ever made. Um, apart from that, probably... Okay, hold on. For for everyone listening, you actually do play Solitaire, like, fairly frequently. <laughs> yeah, no, that's actually not even that much of a joke. No, I love, I, I'm a big, I'm a big Legend of Zelda now. It's like, like that was like my first love. I remember playing Ocarina of Time on my cousin's hand on N64 and just falling in love with it. But my favorite from that series is Twilight Prince which if anyone knows me for so anything, good. it's probably that. Um, I love Legend of Zelda. I love Xenoblade Chronicles, which we're going to talk about today. Spoilers, mm-hmm. but you clicked on the on the podcast. What else do I love? Um, like my favorite indie game is this game called Omori. But I love I love a big wide array, array of stuff too. Like I I think I got quite an eclectic taste that probably leans more over to, to to Japanese stuff. But yeah, Zelda is my is my number one love ever in this universe. So does that mean that you're excited for Tears of the Kingdom? You know, not really. No, no. Like, I don't know. I just, <laughs> I'm like, I'm skeptical of it just because I'm a bit frustrated at the fact it's taken so long. Plus, it looks like mm. it's just reusing so much of the first game. I don't really understand why the massive weight. So I'm a bit skeptical. And I'm, not, I'm just not that excited for it, which makes me so sad because it's Zelda. Yeah. Like, yeah. No, I'm, I'm with you on that because like my first really? 3D game was Ocarina of Time. Yeah. And, and really all we've seen in the trailer so far is kind of the same Hyrule and like yeah. very similar abilities. And I, I don't know, I think people would argue with me on that. But, you know, I, I guess we did see the caves slash tombs. Well, they know it's going to sell. So like maybe that's why they're, they're using like the fact that maybe... I just hope there is a bunch of stuff we're not seeing. And if there's I not, I'll so. be disappointed. But. I really hope so because like I've put almost 200 hours into Breath of the Wild. I know that Hyrule like the back of my hand. Like I, I, yeah. I want to see something new. And obviously we're going to go into the sky, but... It looks a little, it doesn't look like there's a lot up there. And like, so, if I wanted to go into the sky, I'd catch an airplane. Like, give me a fantasy that I can. <laughs> oh. Yeah, zing. I don't know. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm skeptical. I'm yeah. skeptical. And it makes me sad because I love Zelda. I've played so many Zelda games. But anyway, I gotta, I'm going to keep us moving. Please do. Uh, what are you currently playing? That's such a good question. I'm actually kind of like, I'm kind of like playing multiple games at once. Well, I just finished replaying The Wind Waker, but that, Oh yeah, yeah, and I yeah, and um, but I'm playing Final Fantasy fourteen Heavensward, Heavensward. Yes. I used to think it was Heaven's Sword, and because I just misheard everyone say it. And I'm also playing Earthbound, which I'm almost at the end of, I think. And I'm kind of oh, uh, yeah, 
Yeah, I'm getting there. I just hit like a big difficulty spike. I just went into mm. Stonehenge, which had an alien base in it, and I and I, yeah, it's such a <laughs> such a weird game. Um, and I'm also playing The Legend of Zelda: Spirit Tracks, which I played a bunch as a kid, mm. but I've never finished. So I'm just um, that's kind of what I'm doing at the moment. Amazing. Okay, wait, Thank I'm so playing three things too. What are you playing? I'm playing. I'm also playing 14. Yeah. Uh, we're in the same free company, so you should know that. Um, what the fuck is a free company? Oh, <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> I'm on the cusp of Endwalker. I'm so excited. I'm I'm literally a couple quests away from starting Endwalker. Um, I'm playing Dragon Age Inquisition, and I'm playing Crisis Core, which is taking me way longer to beat for some reason because I keep finding side. Okay, I normally don't play side quests, which. I'm sure people are going to give me shit about this, but I normally don't play side quests and I just beeline the main quest because I'm all about story. And I don't know, there were a lot of side quests and I was like, well, I want all these summons. Like, yeah, I want Bahamut. I'm going to go get Bahamut. So anyway, Crisis Core is taking me a while because I've been doing side quests. When you say the side quests, do you you mean like the weird like missions that Yuffie shows up in? Yeah. Yeah. Those are taking you ages, aren't they? Like, yeah. only a couple of them, or did I only do a couple? I think no, I maybe I just no, did a couple. No, there's a bunch. There's a bunch of them. There's a bunch. I'm way over leveled. I'm I'm slicing oh. through bosses in a few hits. It's very funny. Yeah, I wasn't over leveled, and the game was still really easy. Mm. So I think. Yeah, that's fair. I just Zach Fair is so funny. Like, what a funny protagonist. Like, there's a limit break in the game where one of the characters says something, and Zach goes, "Mind your own business," and it's like, what? what <laughs> I love him. Just, just a king. It's so funny. Just a, so what are you funny. talking Christ about? What's going on so here? So good. So good. Um, but okay, we're here today to talk about Xenoblade One, and actually, are we? <laughs> <laughs> no, we can talk about whatever you want. We can switch gears right now. Oh my god! Thank you so much for asking. No. Um, we're talking about Xenoblade Chronicles One. I played it based off of your recommendation. Is that true? That is true. Really? Oh, the video? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, from the video. Wow. Yeah. So I played it based off of your recommendation. I loved the game mm. so much. So many twists and turns. Um, and I don't know if this is controversial, but it's my favorite in the Xenoblade trilogy. Um, so really excited to to talk about Xenoblade 1. I know it's one of your like top five games, right? I would say absolutely, yeah. I've fallen in love with it more and more as I play it. Every time mm. I love it more, which I feel like is quite rare. I, like, I, don't, I, I usually, when I play games, it's like I'm scared of not liking mm. it as much. But like every time I play Xenoblade, I just notice something, more things in it, or I just, things click more. I just have more fun. And especially the last time I played it, which was last year, kind of in preparation for Xenoblade 3, I um I really like properly sat down and learned like actually how to really get good at the combat and mm. stuff too. And just, it's such a fun game. It's just, it's just, it's the goat. It, it's so good. Yeah. Uh, Xenoblade 1 is my favorite in the trilogy easily Same here. because it's the tightest story. It has so many twists and turns. It plants seeds really early on and kind of keeps you going um, through this mechanic where our protagonist, Shulk, is able to see the future and you get bits and pieces of what's going to happen later on in the story mm-hmm. that for me kind of kept me going. But then there's also so many twists where you're like, what? And I found the pacing to be really, really good as well. So yeah. kind of when you when you start to itch for the next story beat, you get the next big cutscene. There's really no dull moments in the game, is there? You know how like in other games, you're always like, oh, when's the next thing going to happen? Like that is, mm. that's never a feeling you get in the end of one. It's so perfectly paced mm. in its both in its big twist, but also just like the general events of the story. Yeah. Like I, I never felt like... I overstayed my stay in any area mm. in Xenoblade 1. Oh, um, for sure. Which is good. It was a really good feeling because I've played some games where it's like, okay, I just, I want to get past this. Like, please, can we go to the next area? But yeah, so it, it's my favorite for a few reasons. I really, I love the cast and, and characters. Oh, so good. The voice acting is so good. Just mm. huge shout out, especially to Adam Houghton. My boy, Adam. Shulk. So good. Just absolutely incredible performance. The story was just really, really unique. It's about the these two titans that are fighting and they kind of lock in place in their battle and then different beings start to like life starts to flourish on both of these titans on the bionis you have the homs and on the mechanis you have the machina it's just like what a unique premise and it starts off as mm. starts off as this like revenge story where shulk's crush fiora gets killed by the mechon who invade their colony on the bionis but then it becomes like a very classic jrpg where you eventually like set out to kill god which is like really funny to me 
Yeah, well, I've definitely got some thoughts on that I want to talk about later. Yeah, but you're yeah, so yeah. right. Do you know how the inception of the game came about? Are you aware of that? I, I don't. So um, so the developers Monolith Soft, they got bought out by Nintendo, but before that they were independent and they made a game called Xenosaga, which mm. is kind of similar in a way. It's like a JRPG, but it's a bit mm-hmm. more anime. And the, before that... Those same developers, when they were at Square Enix, made a game called Xenogears. And both Xenogears and Xenosaga are quite beloved JRPGs, especially Xenogears. Um, actually, really quick fun fact, Xen- the, the idea for Xenogears was the like was a proposed store idea for FF7. And then they were like, this is too dark. So they just oh, went and made Xenogears. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. So then um, they got made, you know, then they got bought by Nintendo, like mid-2000s or something. And um they wanted to make this JRPG, but it's for the you know, end of the Wii's life cycle. And originally the game was going to be called Monado Beginning of the World, which is a massive fucking spoiler. Yeah, like, absolutely. <laughs> and also a terrible name. And then just at the last second, they decided to change it to Xenoblade, kind of, kind of to kind of just to tie it into the, to their past games so they could, you know, mm. kind of make them feel the same. So even though it's not technically connected or definitely not legally connected to the previous ones, like whose IP is owned by different companies, mm. it is spiritually connected. And then ob- I think obviously you probably know this bit, like um, Nintendo of America had, want- had wanted nothing to do with it, but then so Nintendo of Europe localized it, which is why it has British voice acting. That's right. And then um, kind of started out this indie, not indie, this little small darling. Now it's grown to like one of Nintendo's like mm. biggest RPG franchise. Which is insane. Yeah. Yeah. Insane. I always wonder, I'd love to ask people who worked at Nintendo of America if like they look back as that, at that as a mistake or if it's just like now mm. like it worked out the best way it could have. But I feel like from a business perspective, it worked out really well for them because the Monolith Soft team has helped on on major Nintendo franchises like Zelda. Yeah. Oh, not not the buying it, more the um the uh, like the refusal to localize it in the first place. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Like seeing how popular it's become. Yeah. But can you imagine the game with American accents? Like it would be just so much worse. I think. I do not think it'd be anywhere near as good no i can't but it, but that's because the voice cast is so good like yeah ryan is just like one of the greatest characters of all time it's one of the best dubs i've ever heard and i don't know why it's so much better like i don't know if it was just an incredible mm. director if they just had more budget and time mm. than usual most of these actors are just normal british actors like you know who kind of do theater and tv and a bit of this and that like it's not like they're specialized voice actors and i, I, I don't know what it exactly was that made this so special it's because it's it's quite yeah. good yeah, it is it's excellent and i i wonder if i mean sometimes you just get a voice director that can work magic and that could just get the best out of the actors that they work with so mm. i wonder if if it was if it was that but so so i mentioned xenoblade one is my favorite why is it your favorite in the xenoblade trilogy i think it's my favorite in the xenoblade trilogy because um especially in comparison to two and three it's got a quite a grounded story i think which it sounds ridiculous when it's like a you know it's like two t- giant titans and man versus machine and alien not sorry not aliens uh, sorry robots and um you know a, a, a mystical sword that gives you you know grants you visions of the future but like you know all that stuff aside the characters are so grounded and realistic that you really care and relate to them and and so you, you kind of get gripped and hooked on shulk and his character and his friends so quickly and then that combined with the brilliant twists and turns in this super realized and engaging world it's just like this it's just this like brilliant concoction that just like magically and almost perfectly just traps you in right like it's just there's just something about the story that is so special in this game which i've never seen recreated quite like this to this degree in any other sort of jrpg yeah and oh my god the areas yeah xenoblade one are just incredible like i think of like satoral marsh at night or i think of like i really loved valak mountain as well yeah yeah yeah. incredible massive areas i have no idea how the game fit on the wii how does this game fit on the monolith are just the goats they're they're incredible but like again that's the thing it's like the world is also like a part of the the story it's like the coolest thing ever being you're you're these tiny people on these giant titans is the coolest idea ever and i always mm. love getting to a new area and like looking up and seeing where i was on the titan and like mm. you know when you get up to the uh when you get up to where colony six is you can look down and you can see mm. colony nine behind mm. the kneecap or it's like you know you can always see like you can see the McConnus's sword and stuff. It's just, it's the coolest thing ever. It is. It's very cool. Do you have a favorite area? I love Aerith Sea, especially at night when you oh, get those rare so meteors. Oh, it's like so The meteor good. shower is so beautiful. Um, what else? I do like um, um, Satoru Marsh at night too. I think that's quite beautiful. Mm. 
I I do really like I do like Frontier Village, like the Nopon Village. I think it's quite fun. But all these all these areas are uh, I think accentuated so beautifully by the soundtrack, which is just mm. incredible. And also such a such an incredible team. I don't know the names off the top of my head, but you got the woman who did like all the Mario and Luigi and Kingdom Hearts games. Mm. Yokoshimura. Yes. Then you've got this amazing electric vibe band with um with Ace Plus, and then you got these this other composer or two, and. It's just like, it's such a good dream team. Oh, absolutely. I remember starting to play the game and I knew very little about it. And I I go into most games knowing essentially nothing. And I remember when the Bionis battle theme started playing and it's just so beautiful with this lead violin that takes center stage. Mm. And I was like, oh, I'm going to love this game. And Mm. I love that. And then I love... um, it's unfinished business. It's oh, Dunban's so thing that plays good. once? It unfortunately only plays once and then it so plays good. in the DLC as well. So good. Once. The DLC is so bad. <laughs> well, actually, I, I had a note on that if, if you don't Yeah, if you don't yeah, mind. yeah. I think also the music does such a good job at elevating the scenes and I feel like we'll get more into detail mm. with the scenes later or we won't. I don't know. It's your podcast. But like the music really <laughs> elevates <laughs> the the scenes so well and the two that come to mind is... um is of course Engage the Enemy, which is that hauntingly oh, so good. daunting song that of course plays when Fiora dies and like um, that's so just so good. chilling. And it does sort of lose its spite as it gets replayed for the millionth time by the end of the game. But yeah, it's still so good though. It's still so good, especially <laughs> when you watch so it. Good. And going back to the voice acting, it's like you just get hooked when you see Shulk scream, I'll kill you. Oh and my especially, God. Uh, I'll, I'll make this music point really quick, but then I think we should probably get back to characters and talk about why they're so good. Cause, no, yeah. we can talk about music. Uh, we'll talk about characters in a second. Yeah, I just really want to quickly say on the music, the song Once We Part Ways, which only plays twice in the game, mm. is such an incredible track. Mm. So the first time you got it is when Ryan and Shulk decide to leave Colony 9 mm. and go on this mission of revenge. And it's just this, this beautiful moment of like kids, the kids have grown up and they're leaving their hometown and like taking their first steps into adulthood and this scary world. And just the way they look behind and dumb bands looking at the window and he's like, when I'm fully healed, I'll join you. It's just this momentous moment, which I always find funny because then when you get out of the cutscene, and then Shulk and Ryan are still at the gate and they're like, oh, so what do we, do we have any plan? What are we going <laughs> to Anyways, and and then the last time is right at the end of the game when Shulk's deciding what to do with this new world and how to, and it's just great. It's so good. Yeah. It's so good. I mean, the music just helps elevate the story. And Mm. when I think about the story of Xenoblade 1, I just think about the twists and turns and like the two for me that narratively were just incredible. One is at the very beginning and then one is towards the end. But the first one is like, Fiora dies at the very beginning of the game. And the way that you're introduced to the battle system is you play as Shulk, you play as Ryan, you play as Fiora, and then a playable character dies. That's the thing. Gameplay-wise, you're like, they put too much effort into Fiora. There's no way they're going to kill her off. Absolutely. And then she dies and you're like, what? And that sets you off on this journey. So that to me was one of my favorite cutscenes. And then my other favorite cutscene that was just jaw dropping was after you face Egil. This is like way, way, way later in the game. But after you face Egil, Dixon shoots Shulk. And yeah. it's the whole cutscene of Zanza's soul was living in Shulk's body, and Maynith's soul was living in Fiora's body. And you're sitting there like, what? This is supposed to be a revenge story of. Huh? And I just remember my jaw just dropped. Exactly. And right after Shulk and Egil get along. Yeah, absolutely. It was, oh my God, just incredible the way yeah. that they that they wrote that. And I, I, I have started playing it for a second time. And now you can kind of see kind of the seeds that they planted. There's like so Shulk says, much good foreshadowing really in this early game. on. Yeah. He goes, there's two voices within me and it's just, it's incredible. So anyway, um, I wanted to ask you, what are, what are some of your favorite story beats? Well, I, I think rewinding from those plot twists, one of my favorite is of course, when you're on at the top of prison Island and Shulk full of anger and revenge, which is, you know, a big part of the game. He's getting full yeah. of this anger and stuff slashes open the the white golden mechon and then sees a yeah. homs inside and not only a homs it's fiora and like yeah. i didn't see that i was i i thought she was dead i thought and it's like Same. and then she's alive and then it's heartbreaking because she doesn't recognize you so suddenly the game stops mm. about being like it's it's it stops being completely about revenge and avenging the the woman you loved but then it suddenly becomes like this search for your your companion mm. that's yeah that's an incredible one i love and i love that whole cut scene i love the speech Shulk gives uh 
to the sword, I guess. Um, I love I love the entire ending sequence. I've watched it like maybe a million times. It's so But I think good. we should talk about the ending as a whole in a bit. Yeah. Um, um, I love, I really love the opening of the game. I think it's such a brilliant, mm. I love like starting with Dumban to kind of get you introduced to the game, but both is immediately setting up this world. And when I was, I was, I played this game on the 3DS when I was 16 for the first time. And even how when I was 16 on the 3DS. How did you play it on the 3DS? No, but this is what I'm saying. Like the visuals are <laughs> so awful. But even like that, even when I was 16, which is pretty old for a teenager, like it just terrified me. I felt so hopeless in this world. And and then when the mech on attack colony nine, you actually, it's like, it, it feels like despair, you know? Mm. Um, of course, metal phase being revealed to be, mm. to be, uh, what's his fucking name? Mumkar. Mumkar. Yeah. yeah, that's great. But then also, additionally, is when when Dumban goes to kill him and Shulk stops him, and it's and it's like again, it's that foreshadowing, it's that balance of like the good, kind hardness of Shulk versus like the evil influences of Zanza that sit mm-hmm. inside of him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then of course the whole Shulk reveal and that entire ending and brilliant, so good. Do you want to talk about the ending? Because I did not see that coming from a mile away. Like when you're climbing the Mechanis to get mm. to Eggle, I did not think that we were going to quite literally end up in space and then yeah. and talk about like the quote unquote like resetting of the world. I think it'd work better if we just really quickly or if just, especially with Shulk, just talk about why his character works so well. Yeah. Why do you think Shulk's character works so well? I think what's so brilliant about Shulk compared to most JRPG protagonists in particular is unlike your clouds or your squalls or whatever, who are very edgy and very like cool. I want to be cool. Like that's the whole thing. We're going to be cool and so cool. Shulk is just like an average earnest Mm. nerdy guy, right? His introduction is just perfect and it contrasts so perfectly against like the war high octane energy of Dunban, right? Because who, you know, Dunban in any right should be the protagonist of a JRPG. He's like really cool. He's a war hero. But then instead we're playing as this like really down-to-earth, very soft, sweet guy. And you spend the first, you know, three to five hours as this guy, you know, he's just like a nerd. He loves tinkering with machines. He just wants to unlock the power of the Monado. And the big thing I love about this game is the Monado is the mystery of the game. Like, no matter mm-hmm. where you go, it's always what is the Monado? Like, how do we unlock its power? Like, what is its secrets? And Shulk is just so obsessed with those with those um, intentions of his to unlock its power and figure it out. And then, you know, so when you get, when you have this soft, sweet little boy watching his childhood friend be impaled by metal claws, it's, that's what makes him snap, right? And then seeing him erupt in that rage, it, it suddenly shows you like, oh, this guy isn't just a sweet little guy who needs to be protected by his best, his big best friend, Ryan. He's a, he's, there's potentials for anger and, and rage in him and something darker and deeper within. But that also feel, you know, um, it doesn't feel written. It still feels like an appropriate human response. Mm. Absolutely. And so then as the game goes on, you know, for the most part, he's still this sweet guy with, but then has, you know, these moments of anger and rage that kind of get worse and worse, I'd say, as the game goes on. Um, But there's so many things about Shulk that I've always really appreciated. And one that I think is a small thing no one ever talks about is that Shulk is a servant to the Monado. I feel like, you know, with most other JRPG protagonists or video game protagonists, it's like, oh, I'm cool. This is my weapon, the weapon I use or whatever. But Shulk's always like treating the Monado as like something above him and special. You know, he says, if we can just unlock the Monado's power or even when you're in gameplay, you know, you, you unlock the Monado abilities and you will say out loud, Monado, lend us your power. And um, there's the one where he saves he saves Charlotte with the speed and she's like, I didn't know you could do that. He's like, well, it's not me. It's the power of the Monado. And Mm. I just think I've always really liked that fact about him that I think again, it makes him feel just like a regular guy in this larger than life scenario. One of my favorite cutscenes is when you're climbing up the back just after Sartor Marsh and then Shulk stops Dunban and he says, Hey, I'm really sorry. I didn't even ask. Um, I know this is your sword done then, but could I keep borrowing it for a while? Mm. Like not even, st- oh, like not so good, not even take it, but just, can I keep borrowing it? And, and Dunban's like, what are you talking about? Like, of course it's yours. You can use it better than I ever could. And there's just something really sweet about that for me that I've always loved. Like, does that have anything to do with a larger story? Probably not, but I've just, it's just, <laughs> it's just a fact of shows I've always really liked. And so when you have this sweet boy who kind of gets tested and tested and is just so fueled with revenge and the want to save the friend he loves. And then that kind of turns into, well, I've saved him and I have to destroy the mech on, but, but then no, I, I have to, I have to just find out why we're fighting. And right at the end that he's got the Monado in the air, he's going to bring it down and kill Egil. 
And it's like the rage has consumed him. It's like something else has consumed him. And you can hear him say, no, this isn't what I want. What am I doing? Mm. And the Minato stops. Again, it's like, it's like he is a servant to the Minato, but then in that moment, he overtook it. Then him and Egil, you know, they share the handshake. They figure out, hey, you know, actually we can be friends. Bam. Hello, my name's Dixon. Yeah, I'm a fucking dick, comma, son. <laughs> and you're actually not even real. You were a fucking, you're a child. And then you died then. And then you're like, a, my God's soul has been in your body. And then the game takes an entire like left turn. Yep. And the last three hours is just a completely different game in the best way possible. Yeah, absolutely. A thousand percent. And before we talk about the ending, I want to talk about the other characters too, because I think you touched on a really important point, right? Like Shulk is really humble. And I think that's yes. what makes him really endearing as a character like that. I remember when he asks Dunban, hey, is it OK if I keep using the sword? Like that's it's just such a beautiful, kind moment. Yeah. Um. But to your point, like that is juxtaposed to the anger that we see him experience right rightfully so in mm. a lot in a lot of moments um and then we have his best friend ryan who is this like really silly but also like big brother type character and also just one of my favorite characters of all time i don't know why ryan works ryan just works on so paper he's like the he's such an awful character should not work Sh ryan should not work on paper but jay taylor brought ryan to life like nobody else. I cannot imagine. Like you want a Ryan in your anybody life. Anybody else. Anybody else voicing Ryan. And absolutely you want Ryan. Yeah. Ryan's like, like Ryan in your life. You can't have a rainbow without Ryan or it's Ryan time, baby. Like should make you want to like get out of your skin and run around because <laughs> it's awful. But it's just so funny it and works. so endearing. It and works. he's an amazing character. You know, I, I criticize the game a lot. And I do think one of its problems is that like the other characters apart from Shulk don't really go on arcs. But even, I do agree with that. even that aside, they still have like beautiful kind of beats. Mm -hmm. And like one of Ryan's is like having to realize that he, you know, he can't always be there to protect Shulk. Like yeah. he's not always, you know, Shulk's kind of grown up. It's almost like a, yeah, it's like definitely a big brother, little brother yeah. vibe. And I don't know if you've done the heart to heart between them, but they had like a massive fight because like Ryan or Shulk was scared of caterpillars and then one of them put it in each other's shoe. No. Oh no, yeah, I so seen good. that one. The heart to hearts in this game are incredible. and But I think a lot of people kind of overlook them because they're not voiced. I ended up not being able to do many of them because oh, I didn't have enough affinity with many characters. Yeah, um, grinding affinity with everyone sucks. It's awful. Yeah, grinding. <laughs> yeah, it just takes a while. But anyway, just Ryan is just one of the best characters just in gaming. And yeah. to your point, just should not work and just works so well. And we got Sharla. Um, who I I never really felt huge affinity to Sharla, but she's no. I think she's the weakest by far. Yeah, like she's you know one of the what's what's really funny about Sharla is that she's one of the healers in the group, and she heals with a rifle, which is just like very funny to me. But she's she's a much more serious character than um than like if we compare her to Ryan. Um, you spoke about Dunban already, who's kind of the the best, just the best. Like you want that cool. <laughs> I love JRPGs cool. like that have a cool older older mentor sort of figure. Like I think, I think Auron's kind of the equivalent for FF10, mm, right? Yeah, I agree. But yeah. Dumbman's just the best. And like, does he just turn into like a wise cracking machine? Yes. But it's like, there are some people in life who just always know exactly what to say. And he always just has the best advice. And he always stays strong, even when things are really bad. Uh, then we have, we have Melia, who is uh, the princess of the high end. So tragic. Like just, she very gets, she tragic. just gets thrown into the very, gutter. Very you know, like she's, she already feels ostracized for being half high end half yep. uh, homes. And then yep. her entire race, everyone she knows and loves dies and gets turned into a monster and then she doesn't even get a conclusion really in the game like it doesn't Not come until all. the dlc 10 years later like it's really tr sad tragic and sad yeah, it really is it really really is and on my second playthrough i've been playing as melia more melia is super fun she's so fun once you figure her yeah. out she's super fun but speaking of fun though Ricky is yeah! just absolutely Ricky! <laughs> incredible. Hit a pun! <laughs> I'm keeping that. I love Ricky so much. I am Ricky's number one fan. I just want everyone to know. Like, he is so one note. Ricky is just the best. I love that Ricky's whole story is that he owes money. He owes money to his village and everyone makes him go on this adventure in hopes of him like coming back to be able to repay his debts. Like that is so funny to me. Yeah. 
again, like no arc at all, except for one beautiful scene about fatherhood that him and Dunben share on the mm. beach. But apart from that, like he's just this cute little Furby. Like he, he has, like he's just so cute and so funny. And again, like I don't know why he works. I think it's the performance of the actor. Yeah, agreed. It's sh- like it should be so annoying. And I think it's in two and three. I know we'll talk about this a bit later, but it's like I the knock on that really kind of annoy me. And I, I think it's, I think it's the performance of the actor or some, the way he's been written somehow. Like he's just so mm. endearing and so fun. And I, and an aspect I love about it so much, and you especially get this in the, um, the post battle dialogue, is that everyone except for Shulk is kind of making fun of Ricky to his face. Like they're all like patronized. They're like, oh, I'll give you a little cuddle or like, wow, what a big hero pod. Like I think Fiora goes like, oh, my hero. And my favorite one is when Dumban's like, oh, I didn't even realize you were here, Ricky. And then Shulk like earnestly oh, is like, <laughs> Dumban, like you're embarrassing Ricky. It's so, it's so fun and it's so cute. Shout out to Wayne Forrester who voices Ricky. Just oh, incredible. absolute goaded performance. Incredible. And then we also have, uh, okay, I love that the community online publicly and outwardly call her seven so as mm. to not spoil the story like i think that that's really sweet to and this endearing, day, still, given yeah. That, yeah i mean given that the game's been out for 13 years the mm. original one um yeah, Fiora is the last playable character. And she's super fun. Again, like this last playthrough for me, I learned how to play her. She's really fun. Mm. Um, she's 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 great. Like a lot of people complain that she doesn't really have much of an, an arc again, apart from like just living for Shulk. But this game to me is like a romance, right? And mm. like, again, maybe it's the writing or the performance, but she feels a lot more three-dimensional than she probably is on paper. Um, and she is super sweet and endearing and seeing her and Shulk reconnect is really lovely. But then mm. her kind of learning to, she wanting to have the power to fight alongside her friends and, mm-hmm. you know, carve a path towards the future is very beautiful. It's it's such a great cast, such a great cast. And now, now that we've spoken about them a little bit, I want to go back and talk about the ending and, and the yeah. last like three to five hours of the story. Because again, when I was climbing the Mechanis, I was like, oh, this is it. I was like, oh, it kind of sucks that I can like see the, the, the ending <laughs> of the game. And then you get to that cutscene and you're like, LOL, JK, never mind. What is going on? This game is the pinnacle of like, I know where this is going. Oh, what the fuck? I know where this is going. Oh, what the fuck? I know where this is going. (laughs) No, it really is. And it's so good too. I mean, you don't see it coming at all. Although I did have my suspicions about Dixon. I was like, this dude's a little bit sketchy, but I don't know what's going to happen. That is one thing I don't like about this game. There's a line he says at Satoll Marsh and that on repeats is just like embarrassing writing, I think. It's like you walk off and then he just goes like, oh, I can't say I feel too good about deceiving these kids. And it's like, oh, like it's a terrible line. I mean, that but- that did not at all impact my ability to stay completely ignorant to the big twist. <laughs> so <laughs> I just, I didn't, I didn't see it at all. And I was not expecting us to go to space, but like you, you've played the game a fair few more times than me. How do you feel about that ending sequence after Shulk gets shot? It is, it shouldn't work. It's so confusing. Like you have to kind of like take like mentally prepare yourself to like wrap your head around what's going on. Like it's, and it's such a bizarre turn at a left field. And yet again, I don't know why, but the game just nails it. Like it's such mm. a, especially that final, final cutscene is just the perfect conclusion to the game. Mm. I love so much that the entire game is this like revenge story about man versus machine that sort of changes. And then suddenly it's like this, it's this like, what is our role in, in destiny? Like what does it mean to seize your death, uh, to seize your future and, and come of the path that you want what is the point of a god and, and its power like it's it's comes out of nowhere but it's so good and it's mm. and zanza is such a good villain despite not really being in the game yeah. that much i love that it's the same voice actor as shulk i think that's a really good touch shout out again to adam Haddon, who was incredible in both performances yeah again he does such a great job um that ending when once you enter space and once you fight zanza Everything in that is so good, especially gameplay wise, which again is like very, oh, really quickly. I think we should say like the game does such a good job at like synchronizing the story with the gameplay because in the gameplay you get the visions. Agreed. And yeah, you get you get the visions from the Monado. So it's not just a fancy thing that happens in, yeah, there's no disconnected. It's like it's like the visions affect the story in the cutscenes, and they also affect the gameplay. Mm-hmm. Same with like mm-hmm. when you unlock a new Monado power, it affects the story and also affects the gameplay, vice versa. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like when you're fighting Zenza, you know, it's so, 
you know, you hear you hear Zans the Divine and it's like, oh, God, this is a big so final good. boss and you're doing your best. You're just these small little chumps in space and he's going to destroy you and he's going to rebirth the universe and, oh, it's incredible. And then suddenly you start getting visions again, even though you shouldn't be able to because mm-hmm. you don't have the Menard anymore. And in the second and third phase, you can hear Zanza's voice lines change and suddenly he goes from this, like, egotistical, overzealous and confident God to being like, oh, shit, I'm going to die. I can... No, like even just like the small seed of doubt in his brain is like this big fracture for his like, you know, uh, solidified persona that he's put up for himself. Um, I do love the visions that kind of throughout the whole game are what you use to defeat Zanza in the end. Yeah, yeah. And then just the entire ending sequence is like Alvis is just being really confusing and he's like, he's like, whose side are you on? And then suddenly it's like, you know, that line, you know, today we use our power to fell a god and then seize Mm. our destiny. It's, again, it's that classic JRPG thing, but they've done enough twists and turns the whole story that having this party of friends that you've gone on this massive adventure with and, you know, constantly being reinforced with those themes of destiny and, and charging towards the future. Yeah. Bringing that together to destroy God and create the world that they want to create is just very beautiful. And then you get the big Lord dump from Albus, like explaining, like, actually it's like Earth, but from the future. And then also he's the computer and also like Shulk is actually Zanz, who was actually Klaus and Manus was a chick called Vanea, not Vanea, uh, Gallier. And, um, and it's like, what is going on? And then it's like world life stuff. And then again, Shulk being earnest, he says, you know, Alvis says, all all Zanza really wanted was a friend. And then Shulk says, oh, so our future and Zanza's future could have coexisted. Like there's no malice in Shulk's heart. He's just a little boy. Yeah. And then my favorite part is that Alvis asks Shulk, who's like, who, because he's defeated the old God, he becomes the new God. And he says like, what do you want to do? And Shulk's like, I don't know. I don't, I didn't think about this. I don't want to be a God. And then all of his friends come up. And again, it's like this that beautiful power of friendship, which is, it's a cliche trope, but it's such a beautiful one. But it works so well yeah. within the context of Xenoblade 1, given given everything, everything from like the really, really big story beats where you see the character interactions all the way down to like the post-battle dialogue, which is so, and there's so much of it. There's so much post-battle dialogue. You really get a sense of people's personalities. And so you get to the end and it, it, I mean, it is like the power of friendship helps Shulk summon the true Monado. Yeah. But it works. Like somehow it just, it works. It is cliche, but in this game, I feel like it works. And you touched on one character that we know fairly little about, I want to say. Still, Alvis. to this day. like Alvis, yeah. Like, Alvis shows up a fair bit in the game, but is always this mysterious character. And the first and time that we meet him... whose side is he him, on? We don't know. Absolutely. And the first time that we meet him, he is also able to use the Monado and actually teach a Shulk an ability. And you're like, who is this? And so the entire game, you're kind of like who is this? What, like, what is this person's story? What's going on? And then by the end of it, you learn that Alvis is actually just a computer. And one of my, okay, so my, my favorite cutscene in Xenoblade 2 is the reference to Xenoblade 1. Yeah, no, for sure. It's like, it's incredible. It's really good. It's so good. So you're, you're, as you're playing Xenoblade 2, you're like, you know, is this a sequel? Is it a prequel? What is it? And you learn that the games are happening at the exact same time. And not to kind of go maybe too into like special speculation into what Xenoblade 3 future DLC is going to be. But in Xenoblade 2, there's this concept of an Aegis and uh, kind of, you know, three, three Aegises were these kind of computers that created the universe and uh, Mithra and Malos are two Aegises and they have these special core crystals and they retcon that in for Alvis to have a core crystal as well, meaning he's the potentially the third Aegis, I would assume. But in Xenoblade 3 DLC, it looks like, based off of the trailer, and I don't know, this might be a misdirect, it might not be, but it looks like Shulk and Rex and potentially Noah fight Alvis. Like, what is going on with Alvis? And Alvis has the Monado, and it's like, Mm. huh? What? I'm scared they're gonna they're gonna screw it up. I'm I'm terrified because Xenoblade Three's story made no sense to me. Exactly that Xenoblade Three made no sense. They had so much lore to pull from and and then didn't pull from the lore, and I was like, why? But more so, I think Albus is like if if Xenoblade One was the only game that came out in this series and then nothing else came out, he's like the perfect like he's the perfect 
mixture of mysteriousness mm. even in the ending it's like you can it's like yeah i, I think i understand like he is uh, he was a computer which then kind of became the monado so technically he is the monado and like you're like that doesn't really make sense because we had the monado the whole game but like anyways yeah. yeah but he has that line to your point he says i am monado yeah i will i mean i i was here at the beginning and i would proclaim the end so mm-hmm. obviously he's mad for some reason um but you make a good point with Xenoblade too. that what, what's a really interesting little exercise to do is if you watch the Xenoblade 1 version of those events and then immediately watch the Xenoblade 2 mm. one. And they're quite different. Like the Xenoblade 2 one's lengthened out, but more so in the Xenoblade 1 version, Klaus is very angry and he pushes he pushes Maynith over and he's very like very cocky. And that sort of reflects Zanza, mm. right? And then in the Xenoblade 2 one, the cutscenes only presented to us, the viewer, like the uh, the characters don't actually see it. So you know, you could argue that that's the objective truth of what happened. And the Xenoblade 1 version was like an abridged one because Mm. it's longer, more stuff is said. And also uh, Klaus is, he's not really angry and he's like more Mm. curious and he's, Mm -hmm. and that sort of lines up way more with um, the architect in Xenoblade 2. But Mm -hmm. we're not here to talk about Xenoblade 2. We're talking about Xenoblade 1, which has the best ending ever. Seeing everybody in the new Colony 9 working together, everyone's so happy. And then Fiora goes to the beach and she sees Shulk and together they're being awkward and cute again. They look towards the ocean, the endless ocean, which is such a beautiful metaphor for like the endless future they've got ahead of each other. Mm. Alvis says to them, or he said to them, you know, it's like all of life will walk towards the future hand in hand together. So that's what it's all about. And then the game ends. And honestly, like, I think, I think the series could have ended there. I would have been really happy. It's such a beautiful ending. I I totally agree. What do you, I feel like there's a lot of different themes in Xenoblade one and what what are some of your favorites? Because like the two that really stand out to me and that stood out to me the entire time that I played, the first one was, and I know that this is so cheesy, but it, it is the power of the people that you surround yourself with. Oh, right? for sure. So like, absolutely. Like that, you know, kept Shulk going, mm. right? Is the people around him this entire time. And, you know, eventually everyone kind of supported him. And I agree to your earlier point that Shulk was way more developed than the other characters, but, you know, maybe that was intentional in that. It really is Shulk's game. It, it is. It absolutely is Shulk's game. But but it, it also tells a story of like, you know, if, if we were just to focus on the aspect of what it means to be well supported as a person and have good people around you, like that's just one of my favorite themes in the game. And then the second one is seizing your own destiny and making your own decisions and deciding what you want to do with the time that you have. Mm. Um just so, so, so good. I do think reconciliation is another big one because like mm. the whole point is like love over hatred, you know. Mm. You know, the way they win is by, you know, the Homs agreeing to be friends again with mm. with with Egil, you know, the Machina. Mm. Um, mm. That's such a brilliant scene and that's what it's all about. And, you know, it kind of ties in with the fact that all Zanza ever wanted was a friend. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but I, I think you nailed the major themes on the head uh, that that's really what the game's about. It's about looking to the future and, and, uh, uh, you know, aspiring to carve the desired outcome that you want. And then to Xenoblade 2's credit, I think what's really brilliant about that game is they thought, well, what do we do? Let's do the opposite. And that game's all mm. about looking back to the past and not letting it trap mm. who you are now. Mm. So yeah, just some cool stuff is going on in this game. Such a cool game. So sick. <laughs> Um, we're coming up on time. Oh God. So it, it like, are, is there anything else that you wanted to talk about? Because I have a really important question. That's going to be the last question. Oh God. Oh, what silly question is this going to be? I can hear it in your voice already. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there are a couple things I want to talk about really quickly. Oh um, yeah. 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 I do really, really, really love, um, I feel like we didn't talk about it, but like there's great foreshadowing in the game. Right. And there's like, you know, there's like the more like, like subtle ones, like Shulk saying there are two versions of me in my head, which of yep. course could be him and um him and what's it called uh, uh zanza but then also just like the actual visions themselves like getting little glimpses of the story together especially on that first playthrough is so exciting that first one you get in the lab where you see like a big montage of things and you hear egil's voice and you see all this scary stuff happening it's like really intriguing you're like what's this and then when you get to those moments that you saw in visions in the story is such like a fun payoff even though like it's just like you get a you got like a little sneak peek and then you see it like it shouldn't mm. be that exciting but it is really fun and it's such a it's just such a brilliant story mechanic and you know I think that's one of the things again with Xenoblade two and three 
Like you could just never do that again. Like it's just such a it's such a fun oh, part absolutely. of the story that those games just don't have. Um, what else? Let me look at my notes. Um, I think really quick, I do want I do want to talk about Egil. I think he's such a brilliant villain because mm. you know not only is he brilliant brilliantly performed and he's got that amazingly evil, maniacal, deep, resonant voice, but also. He's kind of right, you know, from his perspective, like he's doing mm. the right thing. Mm-hmm. If he kills off all these homes, it's going to weaken Zanza's power and Zanza wants to destroy everything. Yeah, because Zanza, Zanza is the soul of the Bionis and uh, Zanza hid his soul in the Monado and took over a giant's body because giants were the original inhabitants of the Bionis. Maybe you could explain it. I was always just like, what is going on? So there was a guy called Argus. He was a giant. And then there was a guy called Egil. He's um, the Machina. And they were really best buds. And then for some reason, Argus was like, and he grabbed the Monado. And then suddenly Zanza's soul got put into his body. And then he went to destroy, he went to destroy uh, uh, Machonis. And I think that was because he wanted to be the one ruler of the world and Maynith was the god of that place. So then they got into this endless battle, which we were told was how the world created. Um, and then uh, and then that ended in a stalemate. Oh, sorry, I forgot the original point. <laughs> I forget too. <laughs> anyway, something happened. Um, Lips. But before, before, also before we, we move on to the end, I, I do think it's also important when you look at games that you really like to talk about what it doesn't do well. And there are like a plenty mm. of things I think the story doesn't do well in this game. Um, I don't know, is, is that like a down on your podcast or would you like no, to? No, 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 please. Um, there are some things, especially in that last final plot twist, which is the last five hours, like some things just do not make sense or not explained very well. The one that has always confused me on repeat playthroughs is, um, we're told the timeline of events is Klaus and Galea are in the, are in the space station. Then they reboot the world. And then it starts as the bonus McConnus and they're attacking each other. Or maybe they were just peaceful for a bit. Um, and then, and then they started attacking each other. And then and then eventually Shulk was born, blah, blah, blah. But then Zanza has this one-off line where he says, I will destroy the world and rebirth it like I've done many times before. And you're like, mm. what? Like, mm-hmm. and then no one ever mentions that again. Yeah, and like, I, but I don't think it's in character for Zanza to lie about that. And so yeah, that feels I like a, a cool idea that he just came up with, but then didn't really bother explaining. And then again, I the agree. other thing is the character arcs. Like, no, like a, there are just giant moments in this story where like some characters will have nothing to do. Like you get Melia yeah. and she's great. And then just for ages, yeah. she has nothing to say. Yeah. And then, you, and then like, I love Ricky, but like you forget he's in the game sometimes because he's just so small and just only has one liners. Um, and that's something I think the, the sequels do a way better job at is balancing yeah, those, those, those characters in the party. Yeah, I agree. From a story perspective, Xenoblade 1 is easily my favorite, but For I sure. agree. I th- it's got problems, but it's still the tightest by far, I think. Yeah, agreed, agreed. I, I do unfortunately think that 2 and 3 develop their characters just more. It, it feels like everyone oh, has enough screen time. For sure. Like, Xenoblade 2 is a lot better at it, and um, uh, I, I sort of think it's perfect. Like, I think some of the characters aren't that greatly developed but they all sort of get like a big moment especially and then and then you've got your characters like rex pyra mithra poppy nia even zeke like they have these really great character arcs um and then xenoblade 3 again i think because it's a smaller cast i think well then do they even get developed because not really because you have to half their development's done in side quests which i didn't do so uh yeah okay so Anyways, I feel like I'm talking your ear off. I know I'm the guest, but no, this is great. No, no, no. this is this is great. This is great. Um, anything else that you want to mention about two and three? I hate them. No. Um, <laughs> I think <laughs> I remember. Okay, I do want to. I do want to call this out. I remember playing the ending of three. You were watching my stream, mm-hmm. and there's one part of the ending of three where they show older Rex. <laughs> well, the older <laughs> cast. And it was like, what is this? Why are we doing this? Just why? What's happening? I wonder where they're going to take the DLC because my opinion on three is that what they have shown in the latest trailer in the DLC, which is Alvis and Shulk and, uh, and Rex, it should have just been in the base game. Why was that not in the base game? I don't know. I don't know. Um, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> 
I, I've seen a lot of people kind of say that like it was supposed to just be a thematic conclusion to the trilogy. And in that case, I kind of get it. But then it's like, if that was the case, I feel like they shouldn't have put Melia and Nia in there. Yeah, um, I agree. But, you know, we're going to talk for hours. So I'm going to I'm gonna veto yeah. this right now because I feel like you and I will just go off for ages That is true. It. We will. We'll talk for three hours. And unfortunately, this can't be a three-hour episode. But you should come back. You will come back. You have to come back. I'm never coming back. Well, okay. That's oh, I'm also never talking to you ever again. I'm blocking <laughs> after. Okay. All right. That's fine. I'll see you never. <laughs> Sorry, yeah? <laughs> the most important question. Mm-hmm. Did the territorial Rotbart kill you in Gower Plains? No, I've, I always avoided it till I was strong really? enough to kill the fucking monkey. Okay, so Just I run away. accidentally, I accidentally got killed by it. Accidentally? Just accidentally. Yeah, just accidentally. It's a big monkey. I was like, why is battle music playing? And it's, then a, I t- it's a big monkey. It's a big monkey. <laughs> okay, look, my camera was panned in the wrong direction. That's the thing, like, I love it, Xenoblade. I, I love the, this trope of, like, putting a strong enemy in, like, the so beginning funny. area. And then you get to come back and be like, I'm gonna kill you. Yeah, it's it's so fun. It's so good. Yeah. But this game is just so goaded. Like, I feel like it does such a synchronous. That's not a word. Synchronous a word? It is a word. It does such a synchronous job at like combining the story and the gameplay where it all feels connected. It doesn't feel like there's a, a disconnect between the characters where you play as and the characters in the story. And mm. the, because they never shut up in the most endearing way possible with the combat, like you actually really, you know, care about these characters, whether it be cheering them up when their tension's low or in the post-battle dialogue or in the cutscenes. It's just, it does such a good job at making you care about these characters and therefore caring about the story and therefore caring about the game and therefore caring about the franchise. So you pay them more money when they give you sequels and dlcs and remakes and um that's basically what happens you're not wrong yeah um actually can i say really quickly yeah the series only has four official figurines there's really two incredible pyro mithra ones there's one beautiful melia one they did for future connected and then there's the tiny dinky little shulk amiibo from like seven years ago oh yeah that's it give me a full scale shulk one i'd love that or the Monado. I've only seen the poorly manufactured Shulk one on YouTube oh, so where funny. someone someone's playing the recorder really poorly. It's really funny. We love shuck.mp4. Classic video. So good. <laughs> um, to wrap us up, you have time to plug absolutely anything that you want. The floor is yours. Uh, there's a really amazing podcast I've been listening to called Quest Market. No, you know what? I'm gonna plug your YouTube channel. No, I'll plug so if it. you go to youtube.com forward slash c forward slash snug boy, you can watch Snug's videos, brilliant video essays on a variety of games and anything else that you want to plug? Um, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Just like, just be aware of your local charities and stuff. Subscribe to my YouTube channel. I don't know. Just be nice to everyone. Call your mom. Tell her that you love her. Uh, <laughs> no, tell your friends that you love them too. I don't know. Aww. Yeah. Oh, that's very thematic. Well, Marina, this has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me on your podcast. <laughs> Uh, you're going to have to come back for... I will have to come back then maybe for um, when the DLC drops. Yeah. For Xenoblade Chronicles 3 because that's got yeah, our boy Shulk. Good. That's got our boy Rex. That's got our boy Alvis. That's got our boy... Unfortunately, what? if we start talking about Xenoblade 3, I'm just going to talk about just my frustrations with Xenoblade 3. Well, then that's an end. That's a wrap. If you're listening, Merry Christmas and have a happy new year. Oh, 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 it oh. is March. So thank you everybody for being here. Snug, thank you so much for being here. And uh, yeah, let me know what you want to come back for. <laughs> thank you for being on the show. It was such a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening and for being here. Really hope you enjoyed today's chat. If you'd like to follow us on social media, links will be below. Feel free to like, comment, subscribe, reply, retweet, all of the above. Give us a shout as to what games you'd like to see covered next, and we will see you next time. Thanks again. 